help me this morning. I'm losing my voice. Uh, it is Sunday morning. It is August 23rd, 2009. And our message this morning is called Friend, Religion, and Relationship. So uh, you're going to want to turn to Psalm 33. If I haven't got a chance to try to make you envious, a good friend of mine sent me a Texas quarter merged with an Israeli coin. They have been grafted into each other and now adorn my Bible cover. I'm trying to provoke you to envy. Uh, amen. To see Israel and Texas on the same coin and it not be a Mormon production is beautiful. Are y'all in Psalm 33? Yes, we are. Okay, so from Psalm 33, we're going to begin to read. Uh, we'll probably start in about the... Uh, fourth verse, but I want to tell you something first. I uh, looked at a dictionary this morning. It is dictionary.com, and as I began to look at this dictionary, I looked up a uh, reference for the word religion. Has anybody ever said that you were a religious person, right? And they usually mean it as a compliment, right. and uh, other times they will say, oh, well, don't worry about him. He, he's just got uh, religion, like it's a disease that, that you catch. And uh, in my case, when I got born again, one of my closest friends said, don't worry, his dad got to him. But uh, he'll lose religion eventually, right? That, that's what they, they said about me. Uh, so I wanted to look up the dictionary's definition for it. And it is a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies, usually involving devotion and ritual observances, and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs. If you want to give that a layman's definition, something much shorter, they would define religion as a set of beliefs often containing a moral code governing human conduct. A set of beliefs. What's interesting about that is I had been around religion all of my life. I never remember consciously disagreeing with the set of beliefs of Christianity. Uh, no problem with the doctrines of Christianity. I had no problem with the concept that it should be viewed as a moral code for all human beings to live by. That it was good, that it was moral, that it's something that we should all do. And yet, I had never experienced the power and relationship of the living God. So I had no problem accepting a set of beliefs, dwelling in religion. But I was not at all in relationship with the king of the universe. By the way, relationship is a much easier, much more workable definition. Relationship is a connection, association, or involvement. How about that? To be connected with something, to be associated with it, to be involved with it and it with you is a relationship, right? You can sit next to somebody and have a set of beliefs about them. You can sit next to them and believe certain things should govern your conduct between each other. But does that mean that you have a relationship with them? Has anybody ever been to a football game? Certain conduct should, I mean like you don't let the runoff of your umbrella run on your buddy sitting next to you, right? right? You, you don't spill your drink in their laps, right? That's conduct that governs your relationship. You have a set of common beliefs. You're there because you like football. But does that put you in relationship with them? Not at all. When we begin to develop an association, a connection, involvement with someone, we are in relationship with them. By the way, <coughs> the definition for connection is to be united, joined, or linked. All right, now go with me to Psalm 33. Start with me in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. What is justice? What is righteousness? If the Lord loves it, does this speak of a set of beliefs or does this speak of a connection with someone, an involvement and an association? For justice to be given between Michelle and Jan, I must know what is going on between Michelle and Jan. There has to be some level of involvement. You hope that when you stand before a judge and a jury at some point, there is some human connection that is made. Because if they simply just look at you like any other person in the world, where 
is the place for mercy? Where is the place for compassion? Where is the place for some kind of human, not mathematical, Vulcan-like decision-making? But the Lord loves justice. He loves righteousness. The earth is full of his unfailing love. This speaks of a God who is connected with his creation. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their story host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. You would never revere somebody you knew nothing about. Right? Elvis Schwartz is a plumber. Do you revere him? Why not? You don't know him. Do you think Elvis Schwartz's son might revere him? Well, maybe. Depends on how he acts, right? To revere the Lord, he must know you, and you must know him. Elvis Schwartz was a figure on a commercial, by the way. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. When the Bible speaks of seeing, it usually does not just mean with the visual eye. It speaks of an understanding. When uh, in casual speech, we say, come on, man, isn't this beautiful? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you see it? That is the kind of seeing that the Lord sees all mankind. He doesn't just visually observe you. He begins to understand more about you. We'll pick up on that in the New Testament in a little while. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. It's a sobering thought to think that when Stephanie goes to Starbucks in the morning, the Lord is considering her actions. He's thinking about what she's doing. He's using the events of her life just like Ashley's or Jacob's to form her heart in a certain way. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength that cannot save. Why would that be? Because the Lord is intimately connected to, involved in his creation. And when he has a purpose, even if the other team has bigger horses and bigger armies, his purpose will stand. Does this speak of somebody that you interact with solely through a set of common beliefs? Or does this speak of somebody that you are connected to? associated with and involved with. Our God is calling us to deeper relationship. There's enough religion out there to make him vomit, much less us. But relationship changes lives. It changes you thoroughly. There's distinct differences between being involved in religion and being involved in a passionate, intimate relationship with your God. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. This speaks of God having been kind to a people and a people reciprocating that love to him by placing all of their hope in his decisions, all of their desire aligned with his. Do you remember in Corinthians 13 where Paul said, the last of these to remain is faith, hope, and love? You find all three in this chapter, in these verses, as man's response to the Lord's plan. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. That sounds like a connected God, doesn't it? Might you say that people have a problem when they see disconnection with God? When you look out and see children starving and dying, doesn't that hurt your heart? Don't you wonder, how could a loving God allow this to happen? Well, let me ask you something. Is it God that disconnected from us? Or is it us that disconnected from God? I would venture to wager this morning that as we look at this word, you will see his loving hand stretching out to humanity day after day after day. And it involves your actions if you're the body of Christ. You can make a difference one singular life at a time. We wait in hope for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. Would you say that somebody was your help and your shield that you simply sat next to at a political rally? Probably not. You might have all kinds of moral code in, com in common with them. You might have very similar beliefs. 
You might believe that governing human affairs should occur in certain ways, but would you say they were your help and your shield? So why do we think it is enough to simply believe certain things about God? Why do we think it is enough to simply accept doctrine as fact? In Him our hearts rejoice. The word rejoice in Hebrew means to leap and to spin. In Him our hearts leap and spin. You remember the road to Emmaus, the disciples were walking with Jesus and they said, Did not our hearts burn within us as He began to speak? Leaping and spinning with such fury that it created a warmth and a heat in their very chest cavity. This speaks of a relationship. Come on, ladies, you remember the first time your loved one said something to you. Mandy's not in here. I can't pick on her. <laughs> Come on, lady, you remember the first time your loved one said something to you. Didn't your heart beat a little faster as his face moved closer to you? Yeah. The night you were engaged and he took out a ring and he put it upon your finger, didn't something happen inside of you? Didn't you get some butterflies? Surely ice was not moving through your veins, right? That came after a year of marriage. I'm kidding. I'm going on 16 good ones. When you're in relationship with someone, their actions affect you. You are affected by their actions. The most damning thing that religion does is it sets in stone. Here are the principles of God. Here they are, here and no more. And there is no action and reaction. There is simply relating to it like you relate to the bricks in that wall over there. You believe they're there. You can examine the ways that they're stacked. You can take measurements. You can talk about them. You can look at their design and admire it. But at the end of the day, it's just bricks in a wall. Your only relationship to it is that you see it. That you acknowledge that it's there. That you believe it's there. That you think it's there for a good purpose. Woo! Even the demons do that. What interaction do you have with it? Well, occasionally I throw a dodgeball at it. That's great. Is it the center of your life? Is it some... Do you wake up in the morning and say, Mighty God, lead me today. Is it a one-way conversation only, like throwing a dodgeball at the wall? Or is He speaking to you? Are you in a relationship? Our relationships with each other are a reflection of our relationship with Him. That ought to be a sobering thought. I have days where I feel like I can't get along with anyone. But what does that say about my relationship with Him? Maybe there's too much Eric in my life. Maybe I need to be willing to be a little smaller in my own eyes and leave room for other people's thoughts, desires, and concerns. Come on now, that is a relationship. If you never sat at a table with someone you loved and realized, I was inconsiderate of their feelings. You didn't set out to say, wow, I want to hurt them. And yet, you did that. Does this not happen with you and the Lord? Do you not have quiet times, meeting places, where you sit and He begins to show you areas that you should have been considerate of Him? Has He not demonstrated His love towards you first? All of these kids are going back to school. <clears throat> Some are blessed to be in private education. Others are even more blessed to be instructed in their homes. Those that have to venture the jungle that is our public school system may find themselves standing in a gymnasium one day. Boys on one side, girls on the other side. Music play. It's called a dance and no one is dancing. And some scrawny, ugly little boy walks out onto the floor, crosses it, and says, will you dance with me? And this is a moment of, of severe and sudden consequence. If she says yes, he is a hero. And they dance before the whole school. If she says no, he's humiliated before all of his friends. And he puts something in her hands in that moment. He gives her a piece of his heart there to reject, there to accept, whatever it may be, he is offering a form of a relationship with her. Our God has crossed the gymnasium. He has stood in the middle of the universe and he has offered you a piece of him. Will you dance with him or will you simply stand back and acknowledge, yep, he's out there and he dances. And he's good at it. Even the demons do that. But will you move with him, stay in step with him, Love Him. Begin to learn His ways. Our God is inviting us into a relationship. 
May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33 speaks of relationship with God that is connected. It's full of association. They're called His people. I've always had a problem with it when people get married and will not share each other's name. What is the point? So, well, we'll share it with a hyphen. It's not my preference, but at least the name's there. Come on, when you say, I am in love with Jesus the Christ, hyphen Stevens. <laughs> Okay, Christ is not his last name. You could say it if you like. But the attitude must be that you're absorbed in him. That your identity is in him. That you have lost yourself in him. That he has ventured to show you his love in an amazing way. And you are now connected with him, hidden in him, have become like him because of that love. He is the one that has made the move to connect, to associate, to involve. We must be taught to respond. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and your mother. And then there is a promise that goes along with this. How strange that the fifth commandment in all of the word would have to say, Honor your father and mother. You would think that this would be a natural thing. Most assuredly, it is the most unnatural thing that comes in the human race. See, it is normal for a mother to love her child. That is a normal thing. It's part of you. Little life has popped out. And you begin to feed and nurture and care for it, And you become one with that child. But the child is born inherently selfish. Only cares about when do I eat? That makes me mad. That makes me happy. And I will fling things from my diaper to show my approval. Or my disapproval. Moms are selfless. Children are selfish. Love naturally has an inclination. It flows from the top downward. Our Heavenly Father has expressed His love to us. He did that first. He is selfless. We are selfish. Not a shellfish. Selfish. And it began to flow downhill. But a command like honor your father and mother from Deuteronomy 5.16 is an example of God's attempt to change the inclination of our hearts to not only receive from God, but to enter relationship, which means to reciprocate it back. It takes work to learn to get love to flow the other direction. We're born with it a one-way street. How do you celebrate a child's birth? A day when everybody brings and gives them things, right? And then we're surprised on their first birthday when they act like they are hell's child rather than heaven's child. I think mine threw up and their heads spin around. <laughs> You are reinforcing in every possible way. Everything revolves around you. We ought to have our birthdays and allow us to give everybody we know gifts. What did you do to accomplish your birthday anyway? What great feat happened did you perform to celebrate on your birthday? That's right, it was someone else. I don't even, I don't even remember the day personally, Mom. You know, I have no recollection of it. She did all the hard work. This is an example. Love flows downhill. Somebody put me in her arms and she loved me. I had to be taught and learned by the word of God to enter into relationship with her, to love her. What is the way that a child learns? They watch their parents. When you want to learn to love your heavenly father, you should be watching how he expresses his love towards you and then you turn and do likewise. Is this not the cycle of our lives too? Your children are fed by you, nourished by you, and cared for you. And then at some point in your life, usually your children will do all of those things for you. Amen to Mama Falcon, right? Mama Falcon loved Oneida, cared for Oneida, took care of Oneida and everything that she did as she grew up. And now Mama Falcon is at a place where Mrs. Torres is taking care of Mama Falcon. We learn to reciprocate. But will you trust your two-year-old to take care of you? No. Mine would put me inside of a dryer if she thought it was funny. <laughs> because she simply doesn't know. Saints, we must mature in our relationship with God. It cannot be solely a one-way street. That is religion. It's a moral code. It is God is good and we all agree on that. I know he's good. The question is, how about you? How about me? Are we responding to that? Turn with me to Exodus 33. Have I lost you already? No. no. 
When Wednesdays are broken and contrite, Sundays are usually full of power. Exodus 33. We're going to start in the seventh verse. Now Moshe used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. How interesting that in your life, Paul calls your body a tent. He calls a heavenly body, one that will be the resurrected body, a building. But your life, right now, your body is called a tent. Moses pitches a tent, calls it a tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses as he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moshe. This is not religion, friends. If he simply had received a moral code governing human affairs, which is how most people view the law, and it is inane and backwards, absolutely an archaic view of the law that has no place in right understanding. If it were simply that, why is Moses going to meet with God? Why is God descending to speak with Moses and Moses speak back? Have any of you spoken to the Constitution and had it speak back to you? Have you ever gone and got your driver's ed book that teaches you the Department of Transportation's rules for driving and had it speak to you? Have you spoken to it? Anger doesn't count. You have no relationship with it except that it is a standard that you either measure up to or don't measure up to. God is not solely a standard that you measure up to or don't. He's somebody that connects with you. You connect with him. You're involved in each other. And what happens when Gabe Mays does not meet the standard? The living God rises in his heart and says, I will cover the distance. I will bridge the gap because you are able to meet this standard. And empowered by the Holy Ghost, associated with God, involved in him, <coughs> he advances the kingdom. Otherwise, where would any of us be? Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. Why are they worshipping? Because God is interacting with them. They are interacting with God. A man who's become a friend of mine, Kelsey, is a worship leader. He told me that worship was God's revelation to man and man's response. Sounds like a conversation to me. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks with his friend. How many of you would describe your relationship with God as as close as whoever your closest friend is? Because it is supposed to be as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And we're going to read some more of that in a moment. But Moses and God had a connection, an association. They're intimately involved. They even had a special rendezvous spot. They had a special sweetheart spot. A table reserved for just the two of them in the back of the restaurant. Sounds like they had an intimate relationship with each other. Friends. Where is your tent of meeting? Where do you go just to get alone with you and God? Where do you go and not only do you present your request to him, your Christmas list, but he speaks to you. You cannot be in relationship in a one-way conversation sense. Those of you that have tried that know that the relationship comes to an end quickly, doesn't it? Moses taught others to make this connection. Did you see, even when Moses left, Joshua stayed in the tent. Joshua learned from watching Moses. Wow, God is good and he pours out his love. And when we respond, a dialogue begins. A relationship begins. There's direction. There's presence. The pillar of cloud moves and shows us what to do. And we move and he shows his approval or disapproval. It was a discipleship process. Do you think that Joshua literally never left the tent? <laughs> but praise God, we have a Jesus who never at any time 
left God's presence. Mm. Never. So in him we find out what it is to be in relationship with God. How to endure difficult trials. How to face the day of evil and prevail. Saints, it is a relationship. Do not accept religion. Religion is a counterfeit. Listen to Moses as he says this. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Sounds almost like Moses is complaining, huh? Lord, you told me to do something, and I, I don't know how to do it. That's not something that you interact with as just a set of ethical codes. Either it's in the codes or it's not in the codes. Either it is in the rule book or it's not in the rule book. There's an interaction here. I know what you want me to do, Lord, but I don't know how to do it. How, how am I going to make this work? Sounds like a relationship. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Friends, religion is always comfortable without his presence. As long as everybody agrees to the same things, what difference does it make if his presence is here? We already know what to do. We're going to sing five songs. We're going to give you three points in a poem. It will look like God. It will sound like God. And you just ignore the no feeling like God part. 2 Timothy 3.5 says that it has a form of godliness. There's just no power in it. Religion is comfortable with a form Relationship would never settle for not having the presence. Listen to how Moses says. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give your, you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send me. He did not simply want a rule book. Do this, don't do this. He wanted the affirming, loving presence, correcting presence of God wherever he was. There is a difference, would you not agree, between a father who says, I want you to go into the woods, I want you to go shoot a duck, and I want you to come back here with that duck so we can cook it and eat it. And a father that goes with the child, shows them how to hold the gun, what all the safety tips are, demonstrates it, helps them carry it when they're tired, keeps them from getting lost, all of those things, and comes back, right? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, I did not leave you as orphans? His presence is to guide us, to lead us, to encourage us. We are to be interacting with His Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit with us always. Do not settle for a rule book relationship. It's not enough to simply be pointed in a direction. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. And God seemed to be okay with that. Amen. Come on, saints. Can you say amen? What does amen mean? Amen. So be it. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. All right, well, you're all committed now. I'm going to keep you. <clears throat> Moses taught others to make this connection. You see, young Joshua never left the presence of God. When you fall in love with the Lord, when there is love flowing from him to you and from you back to him, others will be drawn to it. They will want to make a similar connection. Moses refused to go anywhere God's presence didn't lead him. For him, God's ongoing presence and continuing relationship was indispensable despite the difficulty level of the assignment. Moses never got to a place where he said, Okay, Lord, this one's easy. I got it, okay? You can take a break for a while if you want. I mean, go give some shade to the Amorites because this one I, I got. But how many times in our life have we rushed forward without the presence of God? We thought, look, when I need him, I'll ask for him. When I'm in jail, I'll call on him. When it's all falling apart, I'll come back to him. As if we didn't need him. How would you feel if your spouse treated you like that? Our king is in relationship with us. He wants to be intimately involved in the details of your life. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. Religion is comfortable carrying out tasks without God's presence. It only requires that you adhere to its code, stay within its framework, stay within the boundaries. We are this denomination, so this is what we believe. This is what we do. This, 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 this. Relationship is completely dependent upon the presence of God because the relationship and ongoing communication 
are the framework and the boundaries. If you're just given a rule book, how do you know this church versus that church? Whatever that church is. How do you know that? man told me one time, they're preaching out of the same Bible you are. Actually, they weren't. He was talking about a Mormon. <laughs> but to him, it was all the same. Why was it all the same? Because it was just a set of beliefs. That's like saying, well, <laughs> I don't need to be in relationship with any female. I mean, they're all built the same. You realize how ridiculous that is? I mean, it's all the same basic function. It's all one, all one God. It's all fine. A relationship appreciates all the intricate details. A relationship loves the way that you interact with each other. One of the most beautiful things about God is that he can speak to Gary Kitchen something that he would never speak to Eric Stevens. Why can he do that? Because he knows Gary. He formed him. He made him. He knows me. He formed me and made me. And yet we have the same basic book that we're relating to. But it's living. And it's active. It can move upon one woman to believe something about conception that another woman does not believe, and it can both be God because you're in a relationship, and He can move and do that. A relationship has no boundaries other than the relationship itself. Religion has boundaries to keep people in, or more importantly, to keep people out. Y'all in Second Chronicles? Yes. Would you like me to be in Second Chronicles with you? Yes. It'd make it easier to preach about Second Chronicles. Okay, I'm in Second Chronicles 20. This has been ministering to me all day, all night, all week, and uh, so I'm going to share it with you. I'll do my best to hurry so I can get to the rest of the message. We're going to be in the first verse. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Menunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. And from the other side of the sea, it is already in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Why not just go read the rule book? Why not simply take out the book of Deuteronomy and follow it by the letter? Deuteronomy tells you how to make war. It says when you assemble the soldiers, give some a chance to go home. Don't take anybody who's only been married for a year. If they're still scared, they can go home. Only take the ones who want to fight. He didn't do any of that, even though the rule book says it. When religion faces a problem, it looks to the rule. When relationship finds a problem, it looks to the person you're in relationship with. By the way, this phrase, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, is nothan ponim, derash. Nothan means to fasten to. Ponim means his face. Darash means to follow, pursue, seek, or ask. Jehoshaphat fastened his face towards pursuing, towards asking, towards seeking. There is no word for resolved in Hebrew. The literal definition is to set your face in such a fashion as if it were chiseled out of granite and it will not be moved until you get what you're after. Sounds like Jehoshaphat knew his God. You would never be sitting next to someone at a football game. Stare at them. Refuse to break your gaze. Be as if you were set in concrete until they did something for you. Right? A fight could start that way. They would be unmoved. But how many times will your child ask you for something? Daddy? Daddy? Daddy, Daddy, the Pebro girls were at my house last night. They're the hungriest children I've ever met. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. You would think that the Pebro's never fed these kids. And uh, I know good and well that they're, they're, they're well fed. And there is no limit to the number of times that they can ask for popcorn, which is good because popcorn's cheap. At least they don't like caviar or lobster. <laughs> Why do they have no fear about setting their face like granite until they get what they're after? Because we're in relationship. They're confident that love flows that direction. What I want is for my God to be confident that love will be reciprocated back in the other direction. That not only when I ask of Him does He move, but when He asks of me, do I move. 
Come on, saints. How many of you have asked God to move at some point in your life? How many of you have been asked by God to move at some point in your life? He resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. He must have known the people of Judah. <laughs> the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Religion simply says, what is the right thing to do? How can I justify myself? How can I not be guilty? Don't want to break the rule. But a relationship comes and says, whether I've broken them or not, whether I've got this right or not, we're friends. Will you help me? Come on, have you never been in a situation where you knew, knew you were wrong, but you asked for help anyway? Okay, well, I've been in that situation. Let me get some people in here that are not so white, that know how to speak bad, talk. Yeah, that's right. Can we get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> One brother, the one cracker with some soul in it. <laughs> they sought help from the Lord. The Lord did not answer them. Item 3A in scroll 2B. Because that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a childlike relationship. He comes and says, Daddy, we, we, we're kind of confused here. We thought we were doing what you told us to do. Now it looks like either you're mad at us or they're mad at us. Either way... We need your help. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. I've been in lots of situations, even recently, where I'm on my knees. Lord, I don't know whether you're mad at me or the devil's mad at me, but either way, I need your help. Right. Help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. Not only does Jehoshaphat seek the face of his God, his friend, he's taught all of Judah to do the same. With one word, they all come to inquire of the Lord. They fasten their face towards him, knowing that their daddy will answer them. His next statement is amazing. Power and might are in your hand. Lord, the, the question is not can you. The question is on the basis not of my merit, but on our relationship will you do this. I one time had a boss that my closest friends did not describe as a righteous man. In fact, some had some other terms for him. And I sat down with him and I said, I need a raise. And he said... <laughs> You hadn't worked here long enough to merit a raise. So that's beside the point. I need a raise. I have to feed my family and I cannot do it on this. I'm not asking you on the basis of my performance. I'm asking you on the basis of our relationship and what it may yield in the future. Will you give me a raise? I was shocked. He said, yes. I'm not suggesting you all try this. <laughs> I probably got the only raise anybody got that year. Our God is not judging your relationship based on your performance. He's judging it like you would judge any relationship. Are we connected? Are we involved? Are we associated? Because all the power, all the might are in his hands. Let's be honest. He doesn't need Matthew to do anything. He just wants Matthew to be connected to him, associated with him, involved with him. And then through Matthew, he can do whatever God wants to do. Come on, say, I'm not limited by my inability. Now what would be better is if not only did you say that, but you also believed it. If I was limited by my own inability, then every letter I got from a disgruntled person would crush me beyond belief. Every time somebody walked out of this church and said, you're not anointed, what would they do? You can't be in ministry and not get those kind of arrows. It happens. Jesus got drunkard friend of whores and tax collectors. If you knew what kind of people those were, you wouldn't hang around them. I was recently told that some of the staff and friends that I'm associated with were not anointed for the positions they were in. What do you do with that? You praise God it doesn't rest on your ability. 
I can sit back and say, he's my father. I talk to him all day, every day. I talk to him when I've done wrong. I talk to him when I've done good. I talk to him and I trust that power and might are in his hand to bring correction anywhere he deems it necessary. So, well, I told you something, you didn't listen to me. That might be true. Sometimes I need to hear it from more than one place to know it's not just you. But at the end of the day, who do I stand or fall to? Who do you stand or fall to? That's right, the one I'm in relationship with. He's my king. He is my king. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God made friends with a man named Abraham. He said, you know what, buddy, I kind of like you. Teach your kids, okay, because I'm going to give you everything. Every nation on earth is going to be blessed through you. But he didn't describe Abraham as a man who subscribed to the religion, an adherent, a member, a charter member. I love that when people tell me just how deeply involved they are in their membership. I've been a member there for 20 years. I am a charter member. Praise God. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Same guy said, what is a Jew? Guy founded a church. He was one of the charter members and did not know what a Jew is. So is he in relationship with the Jew, of all Jews? Probably not, but he is a charter member. There is a vast difference between religion and relationship. Abraham was a friend of God. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. Say, get this, Lord. I believe we're where you told us to be because we're friends and you said camp here. Lord, we built a temple here that symbolizes your name. And now we're standing in front of it saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, what would the sword of judgment be? That's God's correction. Or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence. I want you to hear this. Relationship says, Lord, whether you're angry with me or happy with me, I'm still yours and you're still mine. Relationship is like a marriage covenant. It says, baby, for good, bad, worse, ugly, or pretty, we're in this together. Religion simply says, you must do this and I must do this because that's what the rules say. The most charismatic of all charismatic people in the world that reduce God's spiritual moving to a system of rules and formulas have missed the boat and fallen into religion. Well, I prayed in this way. I used these words, so God must. Are you kidding me? Well, when we pray, we need to remind the Lord of his word. Now, if you want to pray the scripture, good for you. Uh, when I pray, the scripture naturally comes out. I'm not against that. But if you think God needs to be reminded of his word, I want to ask you, who has a memory problem? If anybody's being reminded of the word, it's you while you pray. It is a sword. It is not a crowbar to make him do what you want him to do. How many of you appreciate when you're in conversation? Let's just say Dad and I are in conversation, right? And I said, but Dad, you said. How many of you does that just give you warm, fuzzy feelings? <laughs> right? It is a relationship. How about, Father, I love you, and I know you love me. What would be best here? You're older, wiser, smarter, better looking. What do I do? What do, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I think you get further with that response. If you want to pray the word, I'll give you a word here to pray. Watch this. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you will not allow, you did not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. You want to pray something? Pray that. Admit your weakness. Lord, these problems I'm facing... I don't know what to do. I have no power. He said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Yes. 
Sounds like they were in relationship with him. You know, I got two boys. And when the little one bites off more than he can chew, the first place he looks is to his brother. Why is that? Because they're brothers. They are brothers. If you come wrestle with the Stevens boys, and the little one is in trouble, the big one will come to his aid. If the big one is in trouble, the little one will also come to his aid. Why is that? Because there's a relationship there. Somebody, many times this has happened in history, could be stabbed 40 times in a parking lot, and a crowd just watch. Why is that? There's no relationship. Do you honestly believe your God is going to stand by and watch you be hurt for no reason? You must not be in relationship. Maybe you have fallen into religion. You believe certain things about it. But you're not intimately connected with it. Because there is no way on earth I would let my kid get stabbed 40 times in the parking lot without giving my life. And I am imperfect. The Bible even says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven. Luke 11, 13 promises to give you the Holy Ghost. Think about that. You in relationship or are you in religion? All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Where are they standing? They're standing with their wives, weaker vessel, children, yet weaker vessel, and little ones, weakest of all vessels. They're standing there in perfect unity before the temple of the Lord where he told them to stand in the presence of God waiting for an army that is bigger and stronger to come to them. Where are you standing when there's problems? Do you stand in the presence of God or do you run from the presence of God? So I stand in the presence of God, I just do it somewhere else. Then what's the purpose of the gathering? Why does the word say, do not forsake the gathering of believers? The best habit you could form is when hurt, when wounded, when unsure of your relationship with man or God, to run to fellowship, not away from it. The reason the devil heaps condemnation, guilt, anger, bitterness, hurt feelings, all of those things in our direction is to create divisions that break connections, to make it easier to disassociate. You know, Nazis did not just go and immediately start using Jews for human lampshades. There was a dehumanization process that occurred first. First, they had to break the connection so they didn't see them as human beings. Then they had to break all association with them, considering them vermin, something else, so that they were not in relationship, and it paved the way to do unimaginable things. The devil does the same thing in our relationships. He first has to break the connection. What Chris says to me is not valid, because Chris is so flawed. Huh. Obviously, I picked that example, Chris, because it could not be true. <laughs> We're not really associated. I don't want any involvement. Now all of a sudden, whatever I think about Chris, whatever I say about Chris, feels right in my own eyes. It's amazing how this happens. And it repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. If we do that with human beings, First John says, it's a reflection of the fact we do it with our God. Because if you can't love the human you can see, you cannot love God, you cannot see him. So our goal in this message is to learn how to be in relationship regardless. I want to read you some more of this, though. They're standing there. A prophet stands up and look at verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. You may not have to fight the battle, but you do have to go and stand firm where God said to stand firm. Why? Because it is a sign that you trust He is with you. Stand firm. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. No matter what your problem is, you must stand in relationship with your God and face it. It is not Christian to be a coward. Revelation says cowards do not make it in the kingdom of God. So we have a problem, you and I, but what I'm going to do is just hide. Okay, God will take care of it. God, The word tells us to stand fast in our position and the Lord will be with us. 
face your problem. You find every way in the world not to apply these scriptures. I know the word says, go this brother to this brother, but it's not going to work. So we're just going to hide. Can't work, saints. It cannot. My favorite thing to do in counseling, and some of you have heard this many times, is stop you in the middle of a sentence and say, we don't need to hear anymore. What does the word say? doesn't mean that I don't care. It means that the word doesn't make an exception for you. I can't pretend the problem is more complex than it is. And most of the time, it's simply that we're not in relationship enough with the Lord for Him to say, this is what my word already tells you. Look at verse 19. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They stood in their positions and they praised in the midst of their problems. They praised God in the midst of their problems. Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. They appointed men to go sing. By the way, as soon as they began singing, read it in the 22nd verse, the Lord began to set ambushes. As they praised in the midst of their problems, God defended them. I don't have time to read you this whole thing, but I do want to read you the 27th verse. They won. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. When you meet people that are bitter and that are sad, they have forgotten. God has given me cause to rejoice. Cause. Is there anybody in this room that doesn't have cause to rejoice? Come on now. Rejoice means to leap and stand. Religion says, God is honored by your reverence, which basically means do nothing. Nothing. Relationship says, I want to express my joy to you. I write it across the sky. I have it at a banner at a football game. I write it across my forehead. I'll stand. Remember that John Cusack movie? I'll stand in the driveway with a jam box on my shoulder and sing love songs to you. That is a relationship. It's why we love to see it in movies. It's why we love to see it portrayed over and over and over in our hearts. We yearn for it. We crave it. We just don't often know how to do it. So he has demonstrated it for us. Moses, Joshua, Abraham, Jehoshaphat all had amazing relationships with the Lord that transcended mere religion. It was better classified as friendship. Go to John 1. Okay, you don't have to go to John 1. John 1, 14 says, The Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. We have seen the one and only. We have beheld His glory. John 1, 18 says, Nobody has ever seen God at any time except the one and only who is at His side is making Him known or knowable. If you want to know the extent to which God has extended an offer of friendship to you, He put on a human suit and came and interacted with human beings to make Himself more approachable to you. Come on now, have you ever had a friendship and you thought, how on earth did I end up friends with this guy? I mean, I know some of you have. Like, this dude is amazing. Uh, I was at a house one time, big lawyer, uh, has done amazing things in his life. And as friends of his were talking, I said, you know, we don't even know how we, how we all got together, but it sure is a blessing. Like you feel almost outclassed to be in your friend's presence. Well, God realizes there's that kind of separation. So he put on a humble carpenter suit, born to nobodies from nowhere, and showed up among us. That is an amazing offer of friendship, isn't it? He allowed himself to be associated with the lowest of the low as an offer of friendship. Now turn with me to John 15. This one I am going to ask that you turn to. Relationship is an association, an involvement, a connection. Connection means something is joined. It means it's linked. It means they're indelibly associated. They're somehow interwoven. God wants to be interwoven in our lives. 
Read with me John 15 with that perspective. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Your connection is supposed to result in something. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He disciplines those who are connected to him via his connection. Those that are not connected to him, those that cannot bear fruit, he throws away. He's not interested in religion. Now, why would you be a branch near a tree, supposing that you're connected to a tree, but bear no fruit? Well, apparently you've ascended to some moral set of guidelines. You've fallen into religion. You've said, oh, I think all of this is right. I'm just not ultimately willing to be this vulnerable. Ultimately, I'm not willing to be this connected. I would rather just kind of look like I'm part of the tree. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Sounds like staying connected, doesn't it? No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. God requires us to bear fruit. How do you do it? You must be in relationship, connected with Him. Now, I'll tell you a secret. You won't have to strain to bear fruit when you're connected to it. You never walked past an apple tree and heard it going, oh, oh, If I could just get this one apple to grow out of my tree! It's just the natural consequence of being in relationship. When you love the Lord, you want to be like Him. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Because we are in relationship, we're connected. loving spouses, would one deny the other one anything that was good for them? If it's within your ability to give them, you would give it, wouldn't you? If it's good for them, wouldn't you do it? Of course you would. Because you love them. They're part of you. That's the spirit in which this is said. This is to the Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. He is showing us how to be connected to the Father, doing what He says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's giving us cause to rejoice. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. friends. I know, you've been taught Jesus died for the whole world. And in a manner of speaking, he did die for the whole world system. But he laid down his life for his friends. Those who he would be in relationship with. The others don't get his blood applied. Because they refuse to interact with him. Instead, they get cut off and thrown in hell. They look like a branch. But they bear no fruit. And in the end, he throws them into hell. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I have more to say about all this, but I want to share with you something. I had a teacher named Gordon Chambers. Isn't that crazy? A teacher named Gordon Chambers. When I say that, you probably don't picture... Somebody that looks like Fabio, do you? <laughs> but Gordon was a man after God's own heart, and I was a rebellious punk. And I've always tended towards dyslexia. Uh, I don't know if back then we really knew that, but, you know, my poor family had to take chalkboards and colored chalk and write words and get me to rewrite them and write them again. And I remember it was a painful process, you know. It's hard for me to get letters straight. And Gordon... Mr. Chambers sat down with me, and I kept misspelling the word friend. I've never forgot what he showed me. He said F-R-I-E-N-D, and he underlined E-N-D. He said friends are friends to the end. And he underlined the last part of the word. I have never misspelled the word friend again. 
Saints, Jesus is looking for friends that are friends to the very end of the age. The love of most is going to grow cold. I want to read you 1 John. Uh, no more turning. I'm going to speak with you here. This is 1 John 4.16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. You want to be connected to God? Love Him. Reciprocate what He's already given you. Do it to your fellow man. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. When judgment comes, when calamity comes, you will be standing in the presence of God just like Jehoshaphat and the men of Judah. And so you can be confident because you are living a life connected to Him. Because in this world, we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Religion has to do with fear of punishment. It has to do with breaking of rules. Relationship has to do with wanting to be like him, free from our fear and compelled by love. You wouldn't want your spouse to only be loving towards you because they were scared you would divorce them. Right? You want them to be loving because they love you. Our king is not looking for religious rules. He's looking for actions based on love. Galatians 5.13 says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free. <laughs> called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You have been freed from bondage so that you can love freedom. Religion has to. Relationship gets to. Do you understand the difference? I have to do this because it's the right thing to do. Relationship says, man, I want to do this because I love you. Religion goes one mile. Relationship goes the extra mile. Religion feels robbed. Relationship just gives. Anybody got a sweet old grandma that tries to shove money in your pockets when you see her? She doesn't feel robbed. Why does she do it? Because she loves you. I'm not just speaking about tithes and offerings, but I am speaking about that too. You feel robbed? excited that you get to. Religion is about restriction. Relationship is about freedom. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? One says, you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that and here are the rules. The other says, here, you're free to do everything. Might want to avoid that though. You hear the different emphasis? Both say you can't eat from this tree. But one only sees what you can't do. The other sees everything you're free to do. Religion sets up walls. Relationship tears them down. Think about this verse. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating, drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Religion had built walls. We can associate with them. They don't operate by the same moral code. But relationship says, God has shown me how to love. And I'm going to go love them. Religion worries about who is right. Relationship worries about who will be harmed. You can't read Romans 14 and come away with any other conclusion. He says all food's clean. Sacrifice to an idol or not. But if it harms your brother, don't do it. That is the difference between relationship and religion. Religion does the minimum required. What do I have to do to be saved? Relationship reaches the maximum potential. I don't have time to teach it today, but there is no better example of this than Philemon 
and Onesimus. Philemon owned, literally owned, Onesimus. And because Onesimus didn't like being owned, he ran away. Who wants to be a slave, right? If a slave does something for you, why does he do it? Because you're going to beat him if he doesn't. Right? Fear. Punishment. And when Onesimus ran away, he ran into a guy named Paul, who taught him how to be free in the Lord. And do you know what Onesimus did? He went back to his slave owner. And Paul wrote in the book of Philemon, he's better now to you than he ever was. Why? Because now if he served Philemon, he would do it because he loved him, not because he had to. This is an example of our lives. God has freed us from being slaves so that we could serve him out of a love for him and not because we were scared. Now stand to your feet and let's pray. Relationships start off as a small thing and they grow to consume your whole life. There are people in your life that you once barely knew and now you cannot imagine life without them. Jesus should be exactly that way. You once barely knew him no matter how much you knew about him. You barely knew him. And now your relationship with him ought to consume and define your life. Mighty one, Lord, we thank you that you have offered us friendship. Lord, I pray that you would draw this church into deeper and deeper friendship with you. There are armies on every side, and yet we have no fear, Lord. We stand by virtue of our relationship to you. We trust you. We love you. Draw this body in deeper, Lord, that we can put childish things behind us and move on towards bearing fruit that lasts. We invite your pruning of our branches. We ask only, Lord, that you don't cut us off. Mighty God, we can't go if your presence doesn't go. Lead us by your presence. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.